This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The Great Recession has given a black eye to the tools of financial innovation. Collateralized debt obligations, synthetic derivatives, and other once-arcane investment vehicles are now the poster boys of what went wrong. Toxic players in the boom-and-doom scenario of the housing implosion and market route. But these highly opaque and complex instruments are not representative of real financial innovation, which stresses transparency and responsible management of risk, argues Wharton finance professor Franklin Allen in his new book, Financing the Future, Market-Based Innovations for Growth, co-written with Glenn Yago, Executive Director of Financial Research at the Milken Institute. Financial innovation, properly used, has been the engine of growth through the centuries, Allen says, and is especially needed now to get the world economy on track again. Uh, Franklin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Michael. So we're going to talk today about your new book, Financing the Future, uh, and and uh, uh, why don't we start with the fact that financial innovation lately seems to have developed something of a bad reputation uh, because it's equated so much with the high-risk products that cause such f- f- turmoil in the financial markets. Do you think this reputation is deserved or why or why not? I think it's partially deserved but not fully deserved. I think it's got too much of the blame. And I think if if you look at countries where there was much less financial innovation, like Spain, for example, you get the same kinds of problems. And so it certainly didn't help to have the subprime mortgages and all all the uh, innovations there. But I think the crisis would still have happened as it happened in, in Spain. The basic problem was a housing price bubble. And when that bursts, it, it, it causes problems. Well, you actually have a very interesting chapter in your book outlining the history of financial innovations. Uh, could you perhaps take, take us through some of the major milestones? There are many milestones uh, through the ages, going back thousands of years, but I think uh, we focus on, on a number of them. I, I, the, we start with the founding of, uh, of our republic and Alexander Hamilton's debt for debt swap where he refinanced the government debt and put it on a much sounder footing and that helped our country greatly at the beginning of its life. Then through the 19th century what we saw was the financing of the railroads and that created a lot of innovation because the huge capital that was needed meant we needed to do things in new ways and that helped develop the the, uh, the the markets and uh, the way that they worked. Then in the 20th century, uh, we saw uh, the development of banking for the masses. So uh, when we had the Fr- San Francisco earthquake, uh, there was the famous e- expansion of what was originally the Bank of Italy, but then became the Bank of America. And... Uh, Many people who had previously not had loans or access were able to to gain access to finan- finance in a way they hadn't before. 
You know, very often when financial innovation occurs, in fact, I guess this is probably true of all innovation, uh, the innovators are trying to solve a certain problem. Uh, could you explain how this happens in the world of financial innovation with a couple of examples? So I think the basic problem is how do people get their money back? And this is the, the big difficulty. So what we need is innovations which allow that to happen better. So a good example going on through history would be the development of uh, venture capital, for example, in um, starting after the Second World War, but not really taking off in a significant way until the late 1970s and early 1980s. And what th they discovered there was that you needed limited partnerships to be able to provide the kinds of incentives for the, the uh, people who were screening the projects and so on to be able to do a good job and to provide the right incentives also to the, to the managers. They had staged finance. So it's a whole set of things that came together which suddenly allowed the financing of small startups which had high technology. And this, of course, has transformed our economy. Exactly. Now, when you consider innovations, especially in the sphere of business finance, uh, would you agree that sometimes they seem to come at the cost of transparency? Uh, and how can this problem be addressed, if, if that's the case? So I think, in many cases, financial innovation is a wonderful thing, as with venture capital, for example. But in many cases, there's a dark side to financial innovation, which is, if you make things complicated enough, people don't understand what's going on, and it becomes possible to trick them. And I think much of the innovation that has occurred over the years has been of that nature, and that's unfortunate because it gives, it gives the innovation a bad name. And it happens in many different spheres. It happens in personal finance, and it happens also in business finance. So what we need is to try and avoid this complication because I think it does cause problems. Uh, it would help to explain this perhaps with an example or two uh, where, uh, say for example, let's take the situation in Greece where uh, the country's national debt was going up, but this was not apparent to people uh, because some of the transactions that increased the debt were actually disguised as currency transactions. Could you perhaps elaborate on some examples of this sort? Yes, so this is a, is a very old story which goes back to the Middle Ages. The uh, church had restrictions on on paying interest, usury as, as it's called. And the way that people used to get around that was a number of ways. So one way was to build into foreign uh, exchange transactions a, a discount which effectively meant there was interest being paid. So this is a very old one. And that's, of course, what happened when Goldman Sachs arranged these these uh, transactions for Greece. There was a, a swap component, but also the way they priced it, there was also a credit component. So effectively, they were borrowing a, a few billions of dollars, and that was hidden unless you actually went and looked very carefully at the transaction and looked at the prices of, of uh, the underlying um, 
transactions that was being undertaken. And it's not clear that the people in Brussels knew exactly what was going on and that there was credit being done. Some people claim they did, but it, it's not so clear. So how, how can these things be made a little more transparent? Or is complexity necessarily going to be built into the way financial innovation occurs? I think often it's not necessary, but with some of these fairly complicated swaps and so forth, it's inevitable that it's it's somewhat complicated and you need a level of sophistication to understand. But I think, and certainly governments should be able to, to understand these things. I think the problem is in, in retail markets, it's, it's difficult and people should always be wary and if they don't understand exactly what's going on they should not participate in in the transaction well that that's exactly what seems to have happened to a lot of people in this field of housing finance uh could you and you have a chapter in the book about uh, innovations in housing finance could you explain how those some innovations led to the subprime crisis so i think it, a lot of the innovations there were well intentioned that uh, people wanted to enable poor people, people of lower income, lower means, to own their own house because there are many advantages to doing that. And what they did was to design these new products, uh, which for a long time did help people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to hope to own houses to to buy them. But unfortunately, they relied very heavily on prices going up. And as the boom, the bubble, occurred in the early part of the century, the, these aspects got more and more exploited, and it went too far. So when the bubble burst, it caused these huge problems. I think if we hadn't had the bubble, if house prices had kept going up at reasonable rates of two, three percent, like same kind of rate as inflation, we wouldn't have seen these these problems because they would have not exploited these reset options and all the other kinds of things that that were used then in an abusive way and it would have worked as it worked for a number of years. I see. Uh, but turning from housing to you know the the environment uh, uh, do you think financial innovation can be used as a tool to make the planet more eco-friendly or to yes, protect think, the planet Earth? I think uh, the environment is one area where financial innovation has had a great contribution already and I think will have many in the future. So one example is these state revolving funds where the federal government puts up money which is matched by state and local governments. And this allows various reclamation projects and, and water projects and other kinds of projects that help the environment to be f financed in a sustainable way. I think that's, that's very important. There are other, many other examples. There's an example in the book about uh, New Zealand and how it uh, was able to renew its fishery resources using uh, tradable permits to fish. And there are many other examples w which are in the book on that. Great. Uh, 
what kind of special challenges does financing healthcare pose, and how can financial innovation be used to tackle some of those challenges? So I think this is this is one of the areas where there has been a lot of progress, but there is much to be done. I think one of the biggest problems there is coming up with cures for diseases that affect poorer countries but don't affect richer countries. With richer countries, it's relatively straight or relatively easy to get financing because if you discover that a new cure or a new vaccine or a new drug, then the payoffs are going to be large. But for many diseases, which are very important killers and very important uh, to solve, most of the people affected have no very little income and very little resources and we have to have a combination of private sectors and uh, donations through the big foundations like the Gates foundations and so on. I think financial innovation has a lot to do to try and combine all those different sources of funds to allow new cures and new vaccines and so on to be to be developed. In addition to healthcare do you feel that Financial innovation is something that can be used broadly to promote economic development in the developing world? I think this is one of the areas where financial innovation has a huge contribution going forward, but as yet it hasn't done as much as we would like. There are obviously examples where it, it's done a lot, like microfinance, which has received a lot of, of attention, but I think there's still a lot to be done there. Towards the end of your book, uh, you uh, present six rules of financial innovation. Uh, could you walk us through what these rules are and what are some of the consequences of ignoring them? So I think they th I think we've covered some of them already. So lesson one is complexity is not innovation. And that's really this issue that we talked about a few minutes ago that you have to beware because often people introduce complexity to fool people. Sometimes it's necessary, but uh, often the complexity is there to trick people. Lesson two is that leverage is not credit, and I, I think we have to be very wary of leverage. One of the big problems in the financial crisis was there was so much leverage, and, and this caused a lot of problems. And this is a very old uh, lesson, but you know, if you want to make a lot of money, leverage is one way to do it. But the problem is that the people that are lending it to you often end up losing a lot too. And in this particular case, and often in many crises, it's the government that ends up learning, that, that, that ends up losing. Lesson three is transparency enables innovation. And this is again related to this issue. If you can be transparent, that's very helpful. And people will be much more willing to accept the innovation. Lesson four is that capital structure matters and I think this is very important. So if we think, go back to the example of venture capital, it's very important to come up with the right set of financing instruments and the right incentives for all sides of the transaction. And so that's a very important one. Democrat, lesson five is democrat, democratizing access to capital spurs growth. And I think 
if you read our historical chapter at the beginning, one of the lessons is that it's very important for many people to be able to gain access to finance, not only consumer finance, so they can buy houses and, and cars and so on, but also, of course, small businesses can gain access to finance so that they can grow the economy. And what we do there, as we discussed a little bit earlier, is to show how much this, is, how important this has been, particularly in the U.S., for spurring our growth over the decades. And then lesson six, financial innovation can be a force for positive social change. And I think that, that this gets to some of the things that we talked about uh, in terms of, of health, in terms of the environment and in terms of development. Uh, if I could ask one last question. Uh, if you look to, to the future, uh, do you see any areas that are ripe for financial innovation but where no one has attempted it yet? What, so what's the new and emerging frontiers for would-be financial innovators? I think... The most promising ones are, are in the developing world and how we can help the developing world to become richer and reach Western levels of, of, of income. And I think the interesting examples are, first of all, China. China has gone in 30 years from being a very poor country to at least raising hundreds of millions of the population out of abject poverty and hopefully in the next 20 to 30 years the same thing will happen to the rest of the population and they will all be able to have reasonable middle class wet lives as we do in many countries in the West. I think financial innovation has played an important role in that. I think if you look at the, the, the growth of their small businesses they've been able to develop ways of financing them through uh, not through traditional methods, but through networks and uh, relationships in, in a very important way. If you look at India, I think you see the same kind of thing and the same now, fortunately, the same kind of growth. What we need, to hopefully, to do is to develop these kinds of mechanisms in other places like Africa, where at the moment there's very much a financial development gap we need to fill that goal, and that's really where the challenge in financial innovation lies, in my view. Franklin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, McCool. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.